You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda with Georgia Tolley on Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello there and thank you for downloading The Agenda's podcast from the 5th of December. And while it might have been the 5th of December, it was the 6th day of COP28 and we were broadcasting to you live from that conference at Expo City, bringing you up to date with all the latest stories from the UN's climate change conference, including that mammoth 1 trillion dirham bank agreement. We also found out why TV survivalist Bear Grylls is calling for philanthropists and CEOs to be included in climate action. Meanwhile, COP28 delegates have been admiring a special new toilet on display here at Expo City. The founder of Ecolu Group told us what's so special about his invention. And we found out how Omar Quain is being upgraded with a brand new waterfront development. Plus, Chris McCarty brought us up to date with all the latest sports news. This is The Agenda with Georgia Tolley. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Welcome back to the show and we are bringing you all the latest news from that COP28 climate change talks, focusing on those mega pledges to support climate finance, most recently including a one trillion dirham pledge from the UAE's banks. And while traditionally much of the money promised at these climate conferences comes from governments or non-governmental organisations, this year the UAE is actually bringing businesses into the equation. And to that end, 1,300 global CEOs and philanthropists came together at the weekend in a first-of-its-kind COP conference involving the private sector. And it successfully unlocked more than $5 billion in climate finance and philanthropists' contributions. Hosting the event was British adventurer, conservationist and TV presenter Bear Grylls, who is best known, of course, for his TV series Man vs. Wild. Uh, he stopped by and had a quick chat with me and he talked through his ambitions for that forum. First of all, my role here is I'm hosting these main sessions of getting all of the world's top CEOs and philanthropists all together in one room and say, how actually can we get things done? And I think beforehand you'd had COP, it was sort of governments and UN, and which is great, and so much has happened. But I think it's really reached a time where it requires more. It requires everybody to work together. You can't have separate groups all doing their things. You've got to work together and take action. And that's ultimately what this is about. And I think UAE has always been such a country of vision and actually getting things done. So for me, it feels really fitting seeing COP28 here, seeing this global gathering of inspirational people who want to see positive change. And, you know, I started the session today and you got all these big power leaders, CEOs of the biggest banks in the world, all these things. And there's a united feeling of like, I want my children to be proud. I want my grandchildren to be proud. I want to do the right thing that I stood up at the right time. And, and we didn't just talk. We actually got things done. And I love that. It's been deep in my DNA as a scout. You know, be prepared, get things done, take action. Nothing stands still. Just stood still, you're going backwards. Got to take action. And that's ultimately what this is about. It is so important to get that private sector money invested in these types of campaigns. Do you think people are ready to put their money where their mouth is when it comes to these businessmen, when it comes to these philanthropists? What can you do but try and hope and say your prayers and get people together and say, come on, 
So that's my role. There are many brains that are much bigger and better than mine, but I'm just trying to encourage people to work together because if I've learned anything in the world of survival, it's that one plus one never equals two, equals about five or six. You know, and the same here, if you can work together, you can, uh, you can save the world. Of course, in your role as an adventurer, as a survivalist, you spend probably more time than the rest of us all put together out in nature. Have you seen climate change yourself, writ large? I've seen the effects of climate change close up and it's ugly. It really is. You know, you think we live in this huge world and it's, nature's not affected, but I see it every corner of the earth. We did a show last year called Hostile Planet, showing the effects of climate change, the effects it has on animals. But as you know, the world isn't just animals. We're, you know, what affects them affects communities and people and coastal communities of people. So the answer is yes, I've seen it firsthand. Yes, I've seen it close up. Yes, the world is hurting. And yes, it's time to really take change. Here at this COP, there's a particular focus on young people and how we can wrap them into the conversation and teach them about the changing climate and then pivot off their strengths, their desires. Mm. I know that that's something that's very close to your heart as well because, of course, you run camps for children, don't you? We do, and also one of my jobs as Chief Scout, you know, we've got 60 million scouts all around the world who are inspirational. I mean, young people teach us, is the truth. You know, the people here, the CEOs, are the guys that implement it. But we all learn from young people. They're the ones, they don't debate climate change. They just go, how do we solve it? So I've learned to listen to young people. I've learned to always be grateful for the inspirational and the innovation of young people, and I see it with the Scouts. And yes, we do run camp. We have a camp out here at Rack, which is really fun, the Bear Grylls adventure camp up in the mountains. Uh, but it's all about helping young people be empowered, learn skills that might just save their life, but hopefully bigger than that. Ultimately, we all, all want to do something that's going to protect nature and protect the world. Survivalist Bear Grylls, they're best known for his uh, TV show, uh, Man vs. Wild, bringing us to a close of the agenda today. Thank you so much for tuning in. There's a lot more to look forward to right here on Dubai Eye 103.8. From Expo City, Dubai. This is The Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live at COP28. The world's largest climate conference. Hello there and welcome back to the programme, coming to you live from COP28 at Expo City, which I think it's fair to say is currently abuzz with all the latest announcements. We've had intrigue, deals and denials in the last 24 hours, with one particular statement drawing the world's attention. Everything this presidency has been working on, continues to work on, is focused on and centered around the science. And I have been crystal clear on that point. That is Dr. Sultan Al-Jaba there, speaking at his latest press conference and emphasizing his scientific beliefs. Now, producer Jennifer Crichton's been following proceedings and joins me now. Now, uh, Jen, we weren't expecting uh, this press conference, were we? No, we were not, but... Dr. Al-Jaber called this press conference to speak up after an old video of comments he made in 2018 began circulating in the international media, along with criticism of his apparent stance on the future of the oil and gas industry. Now, Dr. Al-Jaber insisted that much of what was being reported had been taken out of context and insisted that this COP was focused fully on finding ways to keep global warming below 1.5 degrees. And every opportunity I had with many around the world 
and all of my public engagements, I have always been very clear on the fact that we are making sure that everything we do is centered around the science. We're all here because we made a very clear call to action. And we've been very upfront about it. And we said clearly and repeatedly that the UAE takes this task with humility, responsibility, and we fully understand the urgency behind this matter. He also called on the world's media to focus on the outcomes of the conference and highlighted some of the agreements reached so far with a week of talks still to come. And indeed, we have seen many more deals being announced much earlier in proceedings here than normal at a COP, haven't we? That's right. In fact, we've seen 57 US dollar 57 billion us dollars in major financial deals and climate pledges in just four days and many of those have been led by the uae now dr sultan al jabbar outlined just a few of those achievements so far at that press conference i am pleased to say that we have also mobilized over 57 billion us dollars in new pledges and commitments only in the first four days 30 billion in a new custom-tailored UAE catalytic fund that is 100% focused on solutions and bridging gaps to climate change. 725 millions for loss and damage. $9 billion annually announced by the World Bank. Over $3 billion for the Green Climate Fund. $2.7 billion for health. 2.6 billion for nature, 1.2 billion for relief, recovery and peace, and 2.5 billion for renewable energy, and 1.2 billion for methane reduction. On top of that, parties have rallied around a number of pledges and declarations that get the world moving in the right direction. That's the course correction we're talking about. That is us nurturing a new culture and a new DNA that is centered around making things happen. Okay, let's uh, look into a few of those deals in a little bit more detail, Jen. How about the, uh, the climate sort of financing side of things? Because there's been a lot of announcements about that. A huge number of announcements on that and much earlier than we had been expecting. Now, the UAE announced on the opening day that it was creating a 30 billion catalytic fund called Altera, which is going to take an emphasis on unlocking private finance to help the global south. The UAE also partnered with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to contribute 200 million US dollars for food systems, agriculture innovation and climate action. That fund will be focused on agricultural research, scaling agricultural innovations and funding technical assistance effectively with a view to securing food supplies for many of those countries that are facing shortages. And of course, there was that historic move, which was the the Climate Loss and Damage Fund. And now that was fully operationalized with about $750 million pledged so far. The idea behind that fund, of course, is to help those vulnerable nations cope with the impacts of climate change. We also saw a big deal coming out of the oil companies, where 50 of them agreed to cut CO2 emissions and methane. Now, of course... Although there have been deals made, they aren't without 
criticism. There are climate activists, there are different groups who are suggesting that despite these sort of steps forward, despite this momentum, not enough has been done. In fact, they were, there was a lot of criticism for the deal that was made by the oil companies because uh, some of the climate activists suggest that instead of focusing on managing emissions, uh, these, these companies should be reducing emissions. And in fact, there were protests yesterday with regards to the Climate Loss and Damage Fund, uh, where suggestions were made that $750 million is a pittance compared to the billion dollars, even trillion dollars of damage that have been done. Now, all of this sort of illustrate that this isn't a that there, that there are detractors here, that there isn't a cohesive march forward, that there are disputes and, and hard-fought disputes going on uh, right here in the blue zone and, of course, over in the green zone. And certainly there is a lot of progress still to be made before there's any sense of uh, a, a true deal between, I suppose you could argue, the global south and the developed north. So what is next here on site, Jen? I expect we'll see a lot of discussions around those topics that you've just touched on, particularly as today is, among other things, a day dedicated to the rights of Indigenous peoples. We're also seeing today being taking a focus on energy transition. And of course, both of those topics are key to that discussion around climate finance and how we apply that loss and damages fund. And there are very intense negotiations going on in conference rooms all over the site. Around 200 countries are taking part in COP28. And of course, one of the interesting things about COP conferences is that you do have small developing nations taking a seat at the table alongside huge financial and Western powers that have control a lot of the time over those funds. Now, those discussions are happening in conference rooms that are closed off to the public. They're going to continue ramping up significantly until December 12th. And a lot of that discussion is going to be, in some senses, quite focused on semantics. It's, there's a lot of attention goes into very small details, discussions sometimes becoming contentious over individual words. One of the key things that we expect to see a lot of discussion over the next couple of days about is whether we see a phase down or a phase out of fossil fuels. That has been a key part of discussion in previous COPs and it's something we are still waiting to see at the moment. Of course we've also got talks continuing around that global stock take and what that showed us so we're expecting to see more coming out on that in the coming days as well. Producer Jennifer Crichton, thank you very much for that roundup of everything that's been going on right here at COP28 so far. As we said, we're into day five now. Uh, Coming up, we're actually going to turn our attention away from the highfalutin, intense negotiations and conversations uh, and bring it down a bit more down to earth, basically, because um, also on uh, on also being exhibited over in the green zone are various innovations and climate solutions in fact there's loads of them it's really really interesting to walk around the green zone and see all these clever ideas all these sort of clever practical climate solutions one of those being exhibited is a special eco loo that uh, doesn't smell but it requires no water and no flushing 
from Expo City Dubai. This is The Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live at COP28. The world's largest climate conference. Hello there, welcome back to The Agenda here. And as you just heard, we are indeed coming to you live from COP28 right here at Expo City. We are in the blue zone, uh, but if you want to come down and visit, then you can get uh, free tickets. They're free passes to the green zone. And there is a lot going on down there and it's definitely worth checking out a few of the exhibits. Now we're going to turn our attention to one of those exhibits now, one of those very practical exhibits. But first of all, I'm going to ask you to cast your mind back to 2018 because a few years ago, the world's formerly richest man and most generous philanthropist surprised the world by walking on stage to give a speech, carrying a jar of human feces. I brought a little exhibit here. This is a container of human feces. Yeah, that's Bill Gates in China back in 2018 at the reinvented Toilet Expo, an event where he admitted to being obsessed with improving the tech behind toilets. Well, here at COP28, we found an exhibit he would definitely be enthusing over because Ecolu Group is showing off its anti-flush toilets. Joining me now to explain how they work and why they're hoping to cut water waste with them is the founder and chief executive of Ecolu Group, who is called Imad Aji. Now, let me just work out which line you're going to be on, hopefully on this one. Imad, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. And thank you very much for hosting me. It's a very good morning to everyone. Well, it's a great pleasure to have you join us on the line. Tell me a little bit more about how your incredible invention works. Uh, well, it, 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 uh, we, we use a bacterial culture to treat the waste, and uh, that will vanish uh, the, the whole pieces and kill the smell. So, so, so it's absolutely odor-free. I think the line cut slightly when you, when you said the key word right at the start. So you use bacteria, did you say, to, to eat the yes, material? bacterial culture. Absolutely, bacterial culture. Okay, and how did you find out which bacteria culture would work the best? How did you figure out which one would sort of operate to break down the waste without creating any smell? Well, that took uh, quite a long time uh, to figure out because there are over 5,000 of bacteria available uh, naturally. And to get the best of those together to work like a team, <clears throat> sorry, would, uh, was like a, a really very uh, big challenge. But we, we tried and failed many times until we succeed, succeed at the end. And so what do you get at the end of this sort of biological or chemical process? Once you've mixed the, the bacteria, the bacterial culture with the human feces, I can't believe I'm saying it on the radio, but you, you have to get down to practical matters. You know, what happens next? What are you left with? Well, it, uh, you get a, a liquid fertilizer full of nutrition and it's absolutely odor-free and bacteria-free. Very concentrated liquid because most of the uh, pee is, is actually water, evaporates uh, through the system and you get the less than 10% of that liquid as a nitrate, a nitrate liquid, which is absolutely very salty and full of nutrients, nutrition, as I said, but it's absolutely no bacteria or pathogens. 
Why did you spend... That's for organic farming. It's very good for organic farming. What? Why did you uh, sort of spend so much time and, and money and, and thought inventing uh, a toilet that doesn't flush and that can be put anywhere else, in, anywhere in the world? Well, I didn't have any challenge with the toilet myself, but I got inspired and got a lot of passion about it when I watched a documentary about India um, back in 2006. Uh, and then uh, it was a very touching story about um, a scavenger, a poor lady with no gloves, no shoes on her. And she was collecting the feces from home to home uh, just for a few rupees. Her life was very miserable and very, very short. That touching story uh, left me like, yeah, I was like crying all night. Uh, very touching story. So that I decided to do something about it. Uh, so I went out from my comfort zone. I left my comfort zone uh, as an entrepreneur uh, in the construction business. Um, and then I developed this one, uh, financing the, the, the same from the construction business. So I offered everything to this, to this just to make a difference. And my name is I-M-A-D, Iman, uh, and it stands for I Make a Difference. People call me the Lou King, and that's fine. I think it's a very good job title. And I have to say, um, what's amazing is that your your lavatories, they're not at the sort of um, pilot stage. They are actually being used already on certain sites, including, am I right, in the UNESCO World Heritage Site of Petra in Jordan? You are right. Absolutely. It was 2019 where, where the, uh, the UNESCO heritage site with the UNDP uh, came together and asked for our toilets um, and we installed them because they received a yellow card from, uh, from UNESCO. Uh, the Petra, I mean the Petra received a yellow card because it, people um, were like doing their business openly there and it's a huge area. And the tourism were declining very rapidly. Uh, as soon as we did the first installation, 2019, uh, the, the situation just flipped and uh, became like amazing in, in regards to the tourism and micro, micro uh, businesses in that area. Then the year after, uh, they asked for another uh, shipment. And now they are they have like one million pistols per year, just for, thanks for the toilet. And our toilets are installed on top of the mountain, on the hill. Um, of course, it's no digging, no piping. Our toilets is 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 considered like uh, absolutely the the only one that has been approved for that heritage site, this protected area. So, um, and yes. So you're exhibiting here at COP28. Are you hoping <clears throat> to attract? investors so that you can place these toilets in more developing countries and in more uh, heritage sites essentially not only investors actually but also all environmentalists and and even those who are passionate about protecting our water resources because flush toilet is the worst invention of all time uh polluting our precious water and at the end of the day you get sludge because Sludge is, is like something that is not created in our toilet because sludge is uh, people and water. 
uh, we eliminate water. In this case, we got only the uh, the uh, liquid fertilizer. But our plant, you can still use water for hygiene purposes. So it's the reason why we don't flush is because we use a gravity pool, while the flush toilet using the water to move the waste from A to B sideways. That's all. It doesn't clean the toilet. That's a very good point indeed. Ahmad, it's a great pleasure to have you join us on the line. Thank you very much for coming on the agenda. And I wish you all the best with your exhibit down there in the green zone right here at COP28. You've been listening to the voice there of Ahmad Aji. He is the co-founder and CEO of Ecolu Group. And as you've just heard, uh, they're making great progress across uh, this region. Ahmad, thank you very much indeed for your time. From Expo City Dubai. This is The Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live at COP28. The world's largest climate conference. Hey there, welcome back to the program coming to you, yes, live from COP28. And we will be bringing you all the latest breaking news from the climate talks here. But with also keeping one eye on all the other top stories that are making headlines here, including this one, because a major waterfront development is being developed in Umal Quay. Now, it includes retail shops, cafes, restaurants, a two-kilometre-long walkway, amongst other attractions. Joining us now to talk through the project is Mariam Khalifa. She's from the Tourism and Archaeology Department of Umal Quay and joining us on Microsoft Teams. Mariam, thank you so much for coming on to the agenda again. Tell me a little bit more about this waterfront development. What will it include? Um, this is uh, this project is uh, one of its first uh, project in Amalqiwain. It's the first waterfront in Amalqiwain. So as it's announced on the 1st of December, His Highness Sheikh Saud bin Rashid Al-Mu'alla, Sperm Council member rule of Amalqiwain, launched the first phase of the Al-Khor waterfront. Uh, it is a significant project. It is an addition um, for Umm Al-Qawain. Um, it is an attractive destination for the tourists in the Emirates. It sounds fairly comprehensive. Um, Rumours of a yacht club, a marina and an outdoor theatre. It's certainly going to change the coastline of Umm Al-Qawain at the moment, which is quite rural. Yes. Um, as you mentioned, those facilities will be in the second phase uh, of the Khor Waterfront project. So the first phase is only includes the walkway and the kids playing area. Uh, hopefully the second phase will be open soon uh, for the public. Well, that will include, uh, include, as you mentioned, the yacht club, uh, open theater, cafes, restaurants and retail shops. During the first phase of the um, Khor Waterfront, um, this project will host uh, different shows, activities, events um, that will attract more um, tourists, tourists to this destination. And so at the moment, Omar Quain is fairly popular with sort of staycationers, but I'm not sure you get international tourists up there yet. I'm, I mean, I might be wrong, um, but is that all set to change, do you think, as a consequence of this development? How sort of big a deal is this development, do you think, from, from that perspective? Uh, this project, um, it's um, a significant landmark, as I mentioned, first so it will attract more tourists to the Emirates. Uh, we do have different inter- uh, international tourists coming to the Emirates, uh, and it will boost the tourism sector uh, in, in Umm Al Qiwain. Uh, hopefully, we tra- we, it's our goal that we will make Umm Al Qiwain one of the favorite destinations for the tourists. It's a very sort of uh, that the. the Omar Queen's got this lovely sort of mangrove plantations. It feels very authentic. It feels very um, natural in many ways. Is this development going to be sensitive? Is it going to be sustainable? 
Uh, yes, this um, this development is uh, achieving the Umm al goal for a sustainable blue economy strategy, and it's achieving also the government's um, uh, strategic plan for uh, the sustainable sector. Uh, the, vis the visitors will be able uh, to enjoy the natural views that is in the front of the whole waterfront, especially the islands and the pure and the natural uh, mangrove trees. Fantastic. It sounds uh, truly uh, life-changing for people who are up in Omar Quayne because it is stunning along there, but at the moment you can't really walk along the seafront as such. So I think it'll make a real difference. Omar Quayne, definitely one of my favourite uh, among the Northern Emirates. Mariam Khalifa, thank you so much for joining me on the line. We really appreciate your time. Mariam, there is the uh, is from the Tourism and Archaeology Department of Omar Quayne talking to us there about that huge development. We actually don't know how much it's going to cost. Um, I don't think that been announced but it is a two kilometer long walkway with a marina a yacht club and an outdoor theater as well as lots of uh, restaurants and uh, cafes uh, so looking forward to seeing that development from expo city dubai this is the agenda on dubai i 103.8 live at cop 28 the world's largest climate conference Hello there and welcome back to the programme. Uh, we are indeed broadcasting live from COP28. I've just sort of semi-managed to break something, but I think it's mended again. Hopefully we'll be all right. If everything goes wrong when I press the green button in a minute, you'll know that I broke it um, and that I am to blame. Um, right, we're going to turn our attention now to our sport because our editor, Chris McCarty, has sent us this report with all the latest both on and off the pitch. Good morning, Georgia. Happy no, not Monday, it's Tuesday of course. Happy Tuesday and, well, there's only one place to start. I know you're not the business breakfast, but I know you do love your facts and figures when it comes to the financials, George. Shall we start with football and the English Premier League news yesterday that a brand new domestic TV rights deal has been inked by the Premier League. Of course, it is the biggest, it is the most lucrative football league on the planet, 6.7 billion pounds. Yes, you heard that correct. More live games than ever before. The 3 p.m. Saturday blackout, as is tradition, it remains in place but every game outside of that window will be shown live across Sky Sports and TNT Sports over in the UK. The rich just get on richer. It's a remarkable sum of money. We know football has a problem squandering cash. The players, there's an awful lot of average ones, in my opinion, in the Premier League. They're being paid handsomely, and this new deal will ensure that the footballers, at least, and the money men involved in football continue to line their pockets. Talking of football, we're expecting Paul Heckingbottom, the Sheffield United boss, to become the first managerial casualty of the season. It's actually quite remarkable that we've managed to reach December without a sacking in the 20-team Premier League. But after the weekend's 5-0 defeat at Burnley, an 11th defeat in 14 for Sheffield United. Paul Heckingbottom is expected to be axed and is a former Blade, Chris Wilder, a lifelong Sheffield United fan, former manager too, had great success with the club a few years back, of course, took them to the Premier League on that occasion. He has been strongly linked with a return to the hot seat at Bramall Lane. Watch this space on that front. As for football this evening, there are a couple of games to look forward to. Wolves taking on Burnley. You've got as well Luton Town against Arsenal. That went off at quarter past midnight. Fantastic game. That Kenilworth Road will be absolutely bouncing for the visitors who are, lest we forget, 
Table toppers, Arsenal, top of the league, bidding for a first league title. You've got to go all the way back to 2004, the Invincibles, uh, where the last time Arsenal won a league title. So that gets you bang up to date with all the live sports. Back to you, Georgia. Chris McCarty always on his way to somewhere. He's always in the car. He's always driving. He's already, like, there's always something that he's got to get to. That man never sits still. Uh, fantastic to have him join us on the agenda this morning. He will be back on the airwaves, of course, from 5 p.m. with your drive time show. It is off script and, and he'll be alongside Sonal and Robbie this afternoon. <laughs> The Agenda is live Monday to Friday from 10am till 1pm.